Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the La Liga Lowdown podcast. I'm your host, you McTeer and this is our match day one roundup. We're going to be bringing you all the major stories from the weekend of Spanish football, chatting to people who were there from Villarreal to Mallorca. And yes, the Villarreal and Mallorca matches were on at the same time, but we don't need Hermione from Harry Potter's Time Turner to bring you coverage of both games. We've got something better than that. We've got Paco Pollock and Alex Fitzpatrick. Before that, as Julie Andrews would say, let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. And the season did get off to an excellent start as we saw what might be the goal of the season as Aris Adoritz flipped up his 38-year-old legs into the air to beat Marc-Andre Ter Stegen in the second last minute of the first game. Now, we're not going to make the mistake of only labelling this as a Barcelona defeat. Make no mistake about it. It was an athletic club win. But we are going to discuss Barcelona first of all because we have Barca expert Roman de Arquer here. So, Roman... What did you think of the Barcelona performance? Well, it has to be said that it was a very poor performance for Barca. At least the first half felt like a, more like a preseason game rather than a competitive game. We didn't see that intensity, that passion, that excitement of being the first game in La Liga within the players on the field. So it was a bit disappointing in that sense. And it also reminded me a bit of what we've been seeing these last two seasons with Barcelona. The lack of depth, the slow movement of the ball, very positional play and the lack of creativity when Messi's not there. Also, we offered very few times tactical solutions to what Athletic proposed on the field, although it has to be said the changes I think were pretty accurate with Rakitic and Rafinha, but it's only the first game of this season so we shouldn't jump the gun, although the symptoms um, from other seasons are still there. Mm-hmm. And just how worrying is it that they were so lacking in creativity without Messi? Because Messi's not getting any younger and as much as he is still playing at the high level, he's going to be rotated out of games more and more over the next few years. So how are Barcelona going to cope when they don't have Messi? Because they didn't do a good job of it on Friday night. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you get the feeling that at some point Messi's going to have to rest more. But playing as we are right now, I just don't see that happening, to be honest. Um Barca need Messi as they've always needed him and if they don't find a way to like fix uh, to, to play properly when Messi's not there I just don't see other solutions so Messi's just going to keep playing he's still 32 he's still got a couple of years or three where he can play at a good level and despite that Barca are signing and new players are trying to build a compensated squad even when he's not on the field they're just not finding the right solutions. Mm-hmm. And I know it was the first game of the season and a trip to San Mames is really difficult for your first game, but Barcelona went there in week one of the 2015-16 season and won 1-0. They went there in week two of the 2016-17 season and won 1-0. What was different this time, apart from <laughs> Valverde being in the other dugout, the, the poor guy? 
Well, I think that's one of the main differences, actually, that Valverde is there, and he's he's really struggling in his games against Athletic Bilbao. He has managed wins at a win at San Mames, but he's also got in draws other times. Like, for example, instead of looking at the differences, we maybe should look at the similarities because last year against San Mames, Barca were also incapable of scoring. It was the only stadium away from home in La Liga they didn't score in, apart from uh, Balaidos and the Alcoraz, which came after. So it comes to prove that Garitano really has a solution when it comes to playing uh, against uh, Barcelona. And also, like, a curious stat, because we're talking about Valverde a lot, but I think also um, we could mention this in his favour, if it actually ends up being in his favour, is that in the last 24 seasons, Barca have only lost twice in the first game of La Liga. And the first time was actually with Pep Guardiola when they lost 1-0 against Numancia, same score. And we all know how that story ended. Obviously, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but for those who are lacking a bit of hope in terms of Barca, that may, may help them out a bit. Yeah, how, how did that season end? So that was, was that Guardiola's first season? Yeah, yeah. the 2008-09 one when they went and won... Uh, everything. everything. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see. It might <laughs> it might happen. It might happen. Who knows? Uh, you heard it here first. So <laughs> Barcelona Valverde started with a midfield of Carlos Alenia, Frankie De Jong, and Sergio Roberto. I mean, we can't be too angry at Valverde for that, can we? For the Pep Guardiola disciples, that's the stuff of fantasy, right? Yeah, absolutely not. It's what everybody wanted to see, what a lot of Twitter and social media fans wanted to see um, on the field, and he gave it to them, he delivered. And unfortunately, it didn't pan out as well as we expected. Um, we did see these three midfielders play together in the um, second game against Napoli in Miami. And to be honest, it was Barca's best minutes of the whole preseason, so I think he expected them, them maybe to kind of deliver at the same level but of course um, playing against Napoli in preseason is it's not really competitive the players aren't given their 100% and maybe the tactical development of the game isn't as precise so this time against uh, Atletico Bilbao who, who were doing whatever it took to at least get a point uh, it wasn't um, the right solution maybe mm. and this is my last question about Barcelona for you Roman what did you think specifically about De Jong and his performance Sergio Roberto said after the game and, and I'll quote here he said he had a difficult time of it because Raul Garcia followed him around and stopped him from getting the ball and connecting isn't that quite worrying if it's that simple to make De Jong ineffective I mean clearly De Jong was limited by, by Raul Garcia as a matter of fact after 90 seconds um, he already kicked De Jong from behind as if to say welcome to La Liga you know it's not, not going to be easy here mm. this is a very uh, serious competition despite that um, he still tried to ask for the ball he was participative um, but he wasn't too precise with the ball he missed quite a few passes which isn't typical in him so I think the pressure and the fact that Raul Garcia was on top of him got to him a bit but um, I'm not really worried about that to be honest because he's a great player I think he'll learn from his mistakes I think he'll he'll find a way um, to get solutions and as a matter of fact there's an anecdote um, I want to tell you guys is that when he was coming back from Miami on the plane from playing against Napoli he, there's a video of him actually watching the highlights from that game and possibly looking for solutions and improvements in his game so I think he's a very uh, meticulous player and he's gonna do whatever it takes to improve and to find solutions to these kind of um, problems yeah, that's exciting if he's already trying to fix some mistakes and look to do things better. Uh, we'll see what happens when they play Athletic Club later on in the season, how De Jong is matched up against Raul Garcia in that one. Now, let's talk a bit more about Athletic and the guys like Raul Garcia. For me, what really stood out was the counterattacks. That was just something else. What what impressed you about Athletic Club? Well, me, rather than the counterattacks, I think um, Athletic were great defensively and tactically. Because it's true that through Iñaki Williams, they got some really good chances. 
but also they were trying to shoot a lot from from far far in shots which weren't too worrying for the Barca defense but I mean defensively that Raul Garcia marking was great also they were forcing the center backs um, either to push forward with the ball because um, Busquets uh, when Busquets or the young players um, in the middle they usually go between central defenders to receive the ball and try and move it forward but this time because uh, Raul Garcia was on the young all the time they couldn't do that so either Pique had to run forward uh, with the ball and leave uh, space at the back or they would have to pay through the fullbacks Jordi Alba and Semedo and that's where Barca struggles a bit to bring out the ball so I think tactically um, Atleti Bilbao were, were fantastic and of course uh, Avic Adurix was especially fantastic uh, he showed he still has all the talent in the world can he come up though with the fitness and energy to still be effective this season that's the doubt I have about him he has talent but can he run can he put in a full half hour can he put in a full 90 minutes yeah, I think that's a very good question because we all know he, he's a wise player. We know he's got a lot of, a lot of experience. The goals uh, speak for themselves. But um, I do think he can make the most of his minutes. But if he plays too much, for example, if Iñaki Williams gets injured and he has to fill in his boots, I just don't think he's going to be capable of delivering constantly because in the end he's 38 years old and he's already announced that it's his last season so he knows his energy is coming to an end whether it's psychological or physical but surely he's a, a very good player to have as a backup on the bench to try and um, solve games like this one and coming out like that was just spectacular. It really was spectacular and a special night for Athletic Club. It's also the start of the Asti Nagusia festivities right now in Bilbao, so I'm sure the fans enjoyed that. Uh, they played their part too, I thought. The atmosphere was absolutely excellent at San Mames. Well, thank you, Roman, for discussing uh, that thrilling La Liga opener with me. We're going to move on now to talk about one of the more under-the-radar games of the weekend. That was Real Mallorca against Eibar. It finished in a 2-1 victory for Real Mallorca as Danny Rodriguez put the Islanders ahead just four minutes in before Eibar's Paulo Oliveira scored in both ends in the second half. It was Mallorca's first top-flight match since 2013 and they've been on quite a journey since then up to winning a second promotion in a row through the playoffs this summer. At this point, it's time to bring in our man in Mallorca, Alex Fitzpatrick. Can you just explain the excitement that there's been in Mallorca regarding the two promotions in a row and this return to La Liga? The excitement and the interest at the club is unprecedented in modern times, to be honest. There's been queues around the block for season tickets, people sitting out overnight to make sure that they're at the front of those queues. And the ground that was a third full last season, only about 8,000 in the ground, despite how well the team was doing, will be close to full every single week. Obviously, you'd expect that for the big games, but most weeks you're going to see a full sun mosh. The relegation to the Segunda B left some serious scars on the club and on the supporters as well, but this promotion has gone a long, long way to healing those. And before this game, Ibar coach uh, Jose Luis Mendilibar said that it's never good to play a newly promoted side in the first week because they're so eager and determined. Was that the case in this victory? Mallorca scored after four minutes, which kind of suggests that they were driven by some sort of momentum. Vicente Moreno's team's always hungry and determined, to be honest. Um, I'm not sure that playing Ibar at a different point of the season would have seen much difference in the performance from Mallorca. Um, that said, it will be easier now for Moreno and his team to maintain those levels. They've seen yesterday that they can compete at La Liga level. 
Um, the fixture list has been kind to Mallorca in the opening fortnight. It's given them a couple of winnable home fixtures to start La Liga. Obviously, Ibar on, on Saturday and Real Sociedad uh, next week. An early momentum was always going to be important for the side this season. Saturday's result gives them that. Uh, so what was, the, in your opinion, the key to this match finishing in a home win? Hard work uh, and a little bit of good fortune with the own goal, of course, goes a long way to, to helping uh, secure the victory. Mallorca have a really determined midfield. They gave up a lot of possession on Saturday. They had somewhere around 30% possession, which is, is obviously very, very low. But the midfield protected the defence really well and that limited the number of opportunities that Ibar had to get shots in on goal. Baba has made that holding midfield role his own since his standout performance in the playoff final last season, the second leg against Deportivo La Coruña. Um, and his development in such a short space of time is clear for everyone to see that watches this team regularly. Danny Rodriguez and Largo Jr. worked incredibly hard on, on the wings, covered a lot of ground going up and down the pitch, supporting the fullbacks and then trying to get forward and be in a position to, to support Ante Budimir up front. And I know you'll probably say that Mallorca will stay up, um, but assuming that they do avoid relegation, what will have been the main reason for them staying up? The key to avoiding relegation for this squad is their team spirit. They appreciate where they've come from and how much of a gift it is to be playing where they are in La Liga. They're not going to give that up easily. Well, thanks, Alex, for that insight there. That brings us to the end of part one. We've got a lot more coming up in part two as we look at the other eight matches from the weekend with particular focus on the two thrillers in the Valencian community. That's after this. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to this La Liga Lowdown podcast. I'm your McTeer, your host and also your man in Madrid. So let's talk about the teams from the capital just now. Real Madrid were first up and they defeated Celta Vigo 3-1, a result that puts them at the top of the table at this very early stage. The big surprise was that Gareth Bale started and also that it was such a familiar lineup. Nine of the 11 players who started were among the 11 most used players at Real Madrid last season. It seems then that Zidane is sticking with the old guard for now. But it worked, as Benzema got in the score sheet again, Cruz rocketed in his fifth career goal against Celta, the team he scored against the most often, and Lucas Vasquez rounded off a lovely team move. Even with a red card for Luka Modric, it was a pretty positive afternoon for Real Madrid. Atletico Madrid, meanwhile, they played on Sunday night in the final match of the round and defeated Hitafe 1-0. Again, the referee's red card was out, once for Hitafe's Jorge Molina and once for Atleti's new left-back, Renan Lodi. 
It was Alvaro Morata who got the only goal heading in a Kieran Trippier cross. But the moment of the match was surely Joao Felix's wonderful nutmeg and run that won his side a penalty. Morata missed the spot kick, but it didn't matter. Atletico won to extend Simeone's record against Atafi to 14 wins, 2 draws and still 0 goals conceded. Yes, 0 goals conceded after 16 meetings. Now let's shift attention to the Valencian community where we had two wild games on Saturday night. First, Valencia blew it against Real Sofidad as Kevin Gamayro missed a penalty in stoppage time with Valencia leading 1-0 from Gamayro's earlier goal. That left the door open for Real Sofidad to equalise for a penalty of their own that Mikel Oyarzabal buried. 1-1 that game finished. And up the road in Villarreal, it was an eight-goal thriller. The order of the scoring went like this. Villarreal, Granada... Villarreal, Granada, Villarreal, Villarreal, Granada, Granada, 4-4. So let's speak to our man in the Valencian community, Paco Pollitt. He was at Villarreal versus Granada. So Paco, just how crazy was that game at the Estadio de la Ceramica? Well, Ewan, crazy might be an understatement. You know, it was absolutely nuts <laughs> because actually both teams played quite well and, and they tried making the most of their strengths. And we're not talking about a fixture, you know, with bloopers and goals coming from disastrous mistakes or amusing build-ups. Most of the goals actually were much deserved. And at the end of the day, I believe that the result was fair for both Villarreal and Granada. That's interesting you say that because the headline for Ass's match report was luxurious attacks and joke defending. Is that accurate? Uh, not really. You know, in my view, I don't believe that that's accurate because... Uh, Villarreal were poking at Granada's defense at the beginning of the game and they found an unexpected goal mine in their left flank where poor captain Victor Diaz wasn't actually able to stop them. You know, he couldn't stop the opposition when they piled two or three players upon him. And most of the big chances were generated in that wing, but again, uh, Samu Chugwefe for Villarreal also did well in the opposite side. And Granada themselves, they found the team relying heavily, obviously, on Roberto Soldado, who delivered an epic performance, one-man fight against the whole of Villarreal's defense in order to generate the much-needed space for Granada to attack and ultimately score. So I think that most of the um, outcome of the game was thanks to the both teams doing things right and not failing at defending. Javi Callejo, though, didn't seem very happy after the game, especially with the way the, his team started it. What, what do you expect from Villarreal this season, and has your opinion changed after seeing them in this game? Well, Calleja can't be happy because scoring four times at home and getting the result leveled four times at home must be frustrating for any coach. They have refurbished the whole defence this summer. They brought in veteran Raul Albiol, who did a, a pretty good job uh, last weekend. They tried improving in that area and yet they conceded four goals in their first game. So no, he was not happy. Definitely I could see him in the press area and he was pretty pretty pissed off. Uh, but they will improve, you know. Uh, things will come together. BRL have always been an offensive side and the way I see it, I think Cazorra might be very close to pick Santi Cazorra this season if his physical progress is consistent uh, Toko Ekambi and Samu Chukwete looked very sharp. And I also liked um, newcomer from Cameroon, Thamwangisa, 
who used to play for Fulham last season, he did a great job in the midfield. So my opinion remains exactly the same. Villarreal will do much better than last season. And what about Granada? Did they look like a team that can avoid relegation? Uh, they surprised me. You know, when, when talking after the game with Diego Martinez, he was pretty happy with the with the um, outcome of the game, the way his players uh, answered back after uh, being shown pretty much uh, the way out of the game several times. Um, I was surprised by the spirit they showed. They were relentless. They always kept their hopes up of bringing back home something positive. Uh, as As I said earlier, Roberto Soldado was excellent. But I also enjoyed the wingers, uh, Alvaro Badillo, Antonio Puertas, they did a great job. But I wasn't impressed with their defense. And, and that's actually pretty surprising because uh, you only have to look at a single stat from last year. They conceded 28 goals in 42 games in the 2018-2019 season in Segunda and then conceded four goals in just one single game this weekend. So that's a problem Granada has to solve. And I know that after this game, you went home and watched the Valencia against Real Sociedad match, which you had to miss because you were at Villarreal. So I'm going to I'm going to ask you the same as my first question. How crazy was the game at Mestalla? Well, you know, some La Liga Lodan fans might think I'm a glutton for punishment. Uh, but yeah, um, I think Valencia fans have been too harsh on the team after the game because... Valencia totally deserved the three points. You know, they dominated most of the pace of the game. They had better chances. They could have closed the score when the second goal, if Gamedo had scored that penalty. Uh, And then both Coquelin's handball, plus the red card, plus the penalty, plus the goal conceded. It was very harsh on the team. Uh, But again, Real Sociedad, they always tried. They always uh, sought out trying to get something positive out of the game. And I'm happy for them because they were able to pick up a point and they deserved so. It was yet another draw, though, for Marcelino's Valencia. They had 16 last season, which was the most in all the league. Will it be another season of draws, do you think? Um, that's an excellent question. Uh, if, if you use this weekend's game as a template, uh, it might seem a carbon copy of most games at Mestalla last season. Uh, The biggest problem remains at this point. Valencia don't know how to score with ease. They do most things pretty well. They generate clear as day chances, but the strikers then fail. They go and ruin it all. It happened last year and it happened again against Real Sociedad. If Gonzalo Guedes, Kevin Gamero, Rodrigo Moreno, if any of them had been more accurate, a tiny bit more accurate. The game's final outcome would have been a no-brainer for the home team. Let's talk a little bit more about Rodrigo Moreno. He's still at Valencia um, and he was actually the captain in the absence of the suspended Danny Parejo. As a Valencia fan, how do you feel about him wearing the captain's armband after the events of the past week? Um, And how did the fans at the Mestalla feel? I just know if I was a fan um, of that club or any club and a player was wanting to go away and and so publicly close to a move away from the club during the week and then was the captain at the weekend, I would feel a bit iffy about that. How did you feel? Yeah, well, I think we must take a step back and see things with a bit of perspective. Uh, Mestalla has been traditionally very harsh on 
several players. Danny Parejo is a perfect example. Okay, he's now one of the local heroes, but he has been heavily criticized in the past. And uh, Rodrigo Moreno is more or less the same case, okay? He was very criticized in the first few seasons because he was a striker who didn't actually score goals. Um, but eventually, uh, people have come to love him at some point. And I think Mestalla showed Rodrigo much love in ways I haven't seen often to any other player. And I think that they were trying to maybe overcompensate to the fact that if Atletico Madrid finally sell Correa, the biggest chance is that Rodrigo eventually leaves for the Colchoneros before the transfer market closes on September 2nd. Uh, wearing the captain's Armand was a nice touch too and the standing ovation when he left was amazing very very impressive but I stand by my sources and by the information we have been delivering on the last few weeks and uh, the possibility of Rodrigo leaving is still pretty big if the rest of the pieces of this uh, player jigsaw finally fall into place well, thank you to Baco for breaking down the madness of those two Saturday night fixtures. While Baco was watching Granada, I was at Leganes to see another newly promoted side. I saw Osasuna win 1-0 against Leganes with Jimmy Avila scoring one of the many wonder goals of the weekend. Leganes were very unfortunate as they had three goals disallowed, two for offside and one for a handball. But let's focus on Osasuna a little. They came up as champions and they won this match even though they were missing several players through injury, including star man Ruben Garcia. I spoke to Osasuna B-team player Iker Berweso at the game and he told me about their chances of staying up, about Garcia and also about 21-year-old John Moncayola, who was making his debut. Moncayola is the best player, but he's a good player. I think he's the, the future of Spain. And I don't know, uh, he's uh, his first match, and we will see. And Ruben Garcia? Ruben Garcia is the, the best thing in Osasuna. And is Osasuna going to stay up this year, avoid relegation? We will see, it's very yeah. difficult because first division in Spain is very difficult, but I, I think that Osasuna will stay in, in first division. Well, that was the lowdown on Osasuna. Each week on La Liga Lowdown, we'll be focusing on different clubs and storylines, bringing you the insight from the experts from each region. Now, the final three matches to mention before this podcast comes to a close where the following Alaves celebrated a 1-0 win over Levante, with summer signing Jocelyn scoring the only goal. Julian Lopetegui enjoyed a win in his first La Liga match as Sevilla boss as they went to Espanyol and won 2-0 with goals from Sergio Reguilon and Nolito. But it wasn't a happy weekend for the other half of Seville as Real Valladolid won 2-1 at Real Betis with goals from Sergi Guardiola and Oscar Plano and with an 8th minute red card for Betis keeper Joe Robles proving really decisive there. If you had Robles in our La Liga Lowdown Fantasy League, then I'm sorry. That's all we've got time for today. My thanks to Roman, Alex and Paco and of course to you, the listeners, We'll be back next Monday to sum up match day two. But before then, stay tuned for a midweek podcast on a very special someone. We'll speak to you then.